change management is an ongoing process. During that ambiguity time, we didn't stop our interaction. We were able like, to still continue to follow up with our healthcare professional and, and still have impact when the reps went back into the field right after. And that's all because like, we were able to launch that and use these new tools even before uh, the COVID situation hit us. I'm Clay Hausman, CMO of Octana and host of Contextual Intelligence. If there were a list of buzz terms that were used most frequently in the life sciences industry, we would see some of the very usual suspects right now, like omnichannel or AI and machine learning. But near the top of that list, you'd also see the term change management that gets used quite often. And we have the opportunity to dig into that topic quite a bit here today because we are joined by a guest who focuses exclusively on that topic at Bayer Canada. Mark Molle, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for inviting me. So Mark, you have taken a very interesting path. You were initially a field rep. You are now responsible for implementing these change management practices at Bayer. Could you start, just take us through that path and what led to the different steps in your career and, and where you've landed now at Bayer? Super, well, so just to give you like a little bit more background about myself, um, I have a bachelor degree in biochemistry and a master in marketing. Uh, I actually started my career, believe it or not, as a quality assurance lab analyst for a pharma company. And I did that for like almost two years and realized quickly that uh, I was missing kind of like the social contact with people. And this is when I decided to join Bayer as a sales representative. Uh, and I did that for three years. Of course, representing my product was my top priority, but I was also really active in helping my team with the new technology rollout from the head office. And I really think that this had an impact on my choice to move from Montreal to the head office in Toronto, where I started to lead my change management stream uh, for the commercial operations. And fortunately, I had the great opportunity to be part of the Bayer Global Initiative called Powerhouse, uh, where I learned so much on change management and had the chance to launch a multitude of initiatives to drive engagement with this new technology. So I think like my old journey really started at the bottom of the ladder, if you want. And yeah, this is where I landed so far. And did the change management role already exist and you were moving into that spot because it was a fit for you? Or was this something that you kind of created together with your, your managers? That was created when I joined initially at, at the head office. Yeah. So it didn't exist before. And what drove that? So what, what created the impetus to say, we need this now of all times? Well, I think the, you know, like the environment is changing so quickly. Uh, there's a lot of new technologies that are available. And the pharma industry is really an industry that is uh, lagging behind other industries. So when there's a lot of change coming to a company or like to an industry, we need someone or like a team to start thinking about like, how are we going to implement that change uh, to support our sales force, or like to support the employees from that company. So I think like the, that's the reason why it was created. Yeah. So change management, as I mentioned at the outset, it's a term that's used frequently. It could mean a lot of different things. It could mean just about everything in terms of how you manage change, because we all encounter change every day in the work that we do. Um, how do you how do you define it at Bayer? Where, what are the primary areas of focus for you? It's a really, really good question because the term change management is so broad that you can almost use it for anything, right? Yeah. So at first, we really define uh, change management as a form of training with a trainer that could uh, connect in some ways with the trainees. So in my case, as a previous sales rep, that would understand uh, their reality when training them. But we rapidly understood that it's not only about 
special type of trainings. But it's also about communicating right these new technologies and also really connect with the end users to give them something that will really answer their needs. Something that you don't know about me is, is that I really love leveraging multiple different channels to reach out to my audience. And what is funny about that is that uh, this is actually what we were doing to sell to our customers. And I actually worked in the same way with our internal partners. Uh, what worked really well for us since March is to keep the community we have built alive uh, but by, by using like these different channels. It's still like a very broad term for Bayer Canada, I would say, but I think like we're learning into that journey. And uh, yeah, so there's, it's like a whole lot of challenge. Yeah. Mark, are you saying that you use omni-channel marketing in order to help your commercial teams execute omni-channel marketing? Is that pretty much what you said? We are. That's exactly <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. So what have you learned in that process? Like, is, is it very similar to the way that you support HCPs externally that you think the same way about preferred channels for your internal teams and what, how they consume information? Or is it different? So here's the way I see it. Previously, I was selling a product to some customers. Now, the only difference is that my customer changed. Instead of like being the, uh, the external customer, which in that case would be healthcare professionals, uh, my customer is actually my internal team. So I'm, I'm selling these new technologies. So I just need to adapt and also like use different channels to reach uh, out to them and also like drive that engagement and drive that change uh, within our internal teams. Yeah. Is there anything that you found that might surprise us about channel effectiveness that, you know, we would think, oh, they, they would all communicate via email, but actually that's not the case. It's much more of a personal touch or... Is there anything that you've learned along the way that's been surprising to you? Uh, so far, we we done a lot of emails. That's one channel for sure. Uh, I would say that like within a specific channel, what is really important, and and that's also like true for other industries, is is personalization. So it's very cool like to send an email, but what's actually even better than that is to personalize that email to the the recipient, so the person who's going to receive it. Uh, so I think like that's what we're trying to achieve with all our channels. I didn't see like uh, one performing more than another one. I think it's the full integration of all these channels and the orchestration of all these channels that actually works best. Yeah. Got it. Makes sense. So change management as a topic um, has become extremely relevant, unfortunately, in the last six or eight months as we've gone through a, a situation that we've all had to adapt to and, and change. So how how has that influenced the work that you do? What has that done to change management as we undergo a time period that none of us have ever experienced before in terms of communication and work habits and personal health and everything? So for pharma sales reps in 2020, uh, I think like their life changed drastically. Uh, I couldn't agree more with that. What we've done uh, to help them work through this crisis was really like to launch uh, new remote channels. So I'm talking about, of course, emails, but also like remote meetings through our CRM system. And uh, every time we implement a new technology or a new tool at Bayer Canada, we offer what we call a hyper care period. And that hypercare phase is only to support them and be very close to their reality when they're using these new tools or new technologies. Uh, we usually uh, channel everything into a support channel, which is in our case, a ticketing system uh, through an email inbox. And when we launch a new tool or new technology, I always offer them as well, like to reach out to me directly to build confidence uh, with them and also make sure that they feel highly supported uh, in that initiative. It's, it's a real extra effort uh, from our side, 
But I think that uh, it, what it allows me to, to do is to stay connected with the field, even though I'm not calling on healthcare professionals anymore. Um, the Ivercare phase is really a critical piece of our success and also huge learning components to any projects we are launching. I always look forward to the questions or issues I'll get in these, uh, these calls because uh, we can only get better ultimately. So Mark, you just touched on another trend that has really obviously taken off and that's the need for um, all members of the commercial team to learn different ways of working and different channels to become familiar with. You have a unique perspective that way because you spent several years as a pharma sales rep out in the field being the one who's responsible for maintaining those relationships and then having to change your behavior in this situation, your, your former peer set having to do that, but now you're in that commercial operations role. How, how has that influenced your perspective knowing that you've been on the other side, you've been uh, in the seat of the individual that you're now trying to help work through a lot of different change management topics? So, so one of the, the critical, um, I would say like characteristic to, to have like when they, they hired that position, so they hired me into that role was to have someone who had experience in the field and, and one of the main reasons for that is because I actually live their reality. So, so I know exactly like how is the access. I know how it can be difficult on a specific day because uh, you tried to connect with six healthcare professionals, but you succeeded in connecting with only one on that day because it was a very busy day. So, so to know that reality and, and also like to, to know like what they're living, I think it really helps me to, to kind, of, kind of give my tint, if you want, like to any decision uh, that they uh, that they're taking regarding like AI tools or or new channels because we can really tailor these new tools or new um, new channels if you want uh, so that it reflects like the needs from the field with regards to like connecting with their healthcare professionals. Yeah, that's that makes perfect sense and it's something that I think in the topic of contextual intelligence that we talk about this this notion of needing to take all these different variables or perspectives into account. One term that I find to be quite accurate and helpful, but is sometimes um, undervalued is the term empathy. You know, this ability to be able to put yourself into the position of your, your target audience. And if you can't do that, then you can't personalize the experience quite as well for them. Some of that comes from first person experience. Some of that comes from data and how we understand their past behaviors and what they're looking for. But I can only imagine that that empathy you have for the audience that you support and the pharma rep or other members of the commercial team is so heightened by the fact that you remember that experience, you've been in that experience yourself. Absolutely, I think like it's it's really well said, yeah. Empathy is, is definitely like a key criteria to have. <laughs> yeah. Good, so in many ways, Bayer Canada was a bit ahead of the curve. In our work with you, you'd already integrated marketing automation into your efforts, you were running multi-channel customer journeys. This was even before rep access essentially disappeared when the pandemic began. What, what drove that decision-making? Uh, what spurred that to be ahead of the curve that way? First, let me start there. Yeah, so I would say that the decision to implement marketing automation with AI-driven strategies was really taken before that, uh, since it was Bayer Global Direction. So although what Canada has done really quickly was to enable these multiple other channels, such as remote meetings, like I said, uh, throughout our CRM system, remote consent collection, email triggered campaigns uh, because of the COVID situation. By being quick and launching these new technologies, we were able to include them into our marketing automation tool, 
uh, and really expand our capabilities by sophisticating and refining our campaigns. I think that this really helped us because we all know that the customer access became really limited in the past couple of months, uh, which is totally understandable because we needed a quick way to, to keep in touch with our customers. So we did not, like, I think, took that decision because of COVID. We were already there. We just like uh, speeded up very quickly to make sure that we were kind of like um, leveraging everything we could uh, during that situation. Yeah. And how have you seen that? I guess, what are, the, what are the benefits that you've seen from that? The fact that um, you were ahead of the curve that way. So some of the foundation pieces around digital channels and marketing automation were already in place once uh, face-to-face visits became difficult or impossible. And now it was all about digital. Did you see the benefit of that right away? Or did it still require change management practices to make sure that everyone was comfortable with these methods? It, it, I think change management is an ongoing process, so it's it's never ending, uh, if you're asking me. But what I can tell you is that uh, because we were already there before that COVID situation, uh, I think that uh, what it allows us to do is is to, during that ambiguity time, we, we didn't stop our interaction. We were able like to still continue to follow up with our healthcare professional and, and still have an impact when the reps went back into the field right after. So it kind of like bridges that gap that we have. And, uh, and, and that's all because like we were able to launch that and use these new tools even before uh, the COVID situation hit us. So we've talked a bit about, quite a bit about the impact and the change management for field reps. Um, how about for the marketers who are responsible for those digital channels and making sure that what they're doing through the non-personal channels are aligned with the remote engagement that the rep is still wanting to do? How has that come together and what have you been able to achieve in that way for the, the brand and marketing side? So, of course, um, for the sales rep, it was kind of like a small difference to their day because we were only implementing like a new technology. So it, it was, if you're asking me, uh, there was like less change management to be done at that uh, at that like place compared to the one that we needed to do with the marketers because the marketers right now, they were uh, used to build a plan for a whole year. Here's my activities that I need to go through. And be after the planning phase, let's execute these, these strategies and let's go like through our year, which is completely not uh, what we're doing right now. So what we're doing right now is like we're working in, into an agile environment, which uh, allows us to work really quickly and adapt really quickly to any situations. So, so I think like the biggest change was really for the marketers because they needed to adapt to that new way of working and be really agile and flexible uh, regarding their planning and campaigns. So we're working into like smaller cycle right now instead of like being a whole year. It's uh, it's like very small cycle. Uh, so we really needed to support them a lot throughout that change. Yes. And are you seeing increased levels of engagement from HCPs through those digital channels? Mostly, well, for two reasons. One, they, they don't have the option of the, of the in-person visit, but they're also needing to learn new behaviors on their own around telehealth and how they consume information. Have you seen the engagement on that front increase as well for digital? I think we were really um, positively surprised, let's say it like that, uh, because because initially we thought like, oh my God, we're going to spam like our customers with like a lot of emails. 
But after that, when we were looking at like click rates and open rates and also like all the actions that they were taking with these emails and, and what it was allowing us to do uh, basically to micro segment them after and, and tailor that content so that we could like send uh, even deeper communication on like the topic of interest for these, these people, we were really surprised. Um, of the receptivity of our, of our customer. We don't have a lot of like opt out uh, so far because of all of these emails, which was like an initial assumption uh, that we would have uh, in the beginning, that we had in the beginning, yeah. That's good. Now, and it's, it's something that we've seen as well, that there is just a receptivity to these new channels and what may be perceived as spam, as long as you tailor it appropriately, you personalize it appropriately, and it becomes more value-driven rather than volume of contacts, then you do see that, that response, that positive response to it. In your strategy, you guys have also focused on securing HCP consent. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what's led to that approach and that emphasis? Yeah, so consent is like a huge, huge, huge important topic uh, because there's actually a law uh, that like does not allow us to send anything if we don't have consent. Um, so what we've done around consent was really uh, to to kind of like we initiated the campaign and and kind of like uh, illustrated what was the big value of like getting that consent uh, because the consent is kind of like um, not really well understood. If you want, uh, there's a discrepancy between the field and and also like the ad office on who's owning the consent because you are as a sales rep you're collecting consent and then like the ad office will start using that consent with your customer but we needed to do a lot of change management at that level uh so we could like bridge that gap and saying like hey guys we're all working in the same team the goal is not like to flood the inbox from your customer but it's really like to allow us to send them some tailored content that you'll be able to follow up and you'll be notified that they, they received that content. So you'll be able to follow up and then have like much more impact in face to face with that customer. So that campaign of consent that we initiated was really around collecting more and more consent. And uh, it was uh, an initiative that was driven by the field. They were defining the targets. They were defining as well the, um, the reward programs. Uh, so we really want them like to feel very engaged and, and uh, driving that initiative so that we could leverage, um, not leverage, but that we could like improve and increase our level of consent in the field. And uh, we're currently still doing that right now, but we're actually seeing a lot of great and positive results around collecting consent. I'm getting the sense, Mark, that you deal quite well with ambiguity, that you <laughs> some of the things that we've talked about, change management could be defined very broadly in a number of different ways. Consent could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, and you could determine who is responsible for which part of it. This, this seems to be an environment that you seem to play quite well in and you know how to navigate. Is that right? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> You're totally right. <laughs> Good. Um, another area that we've kind of branched out to and we've, we've focused on more in the last two years, and I know you have as well, is around supporting MSLs uh, in the field. It's something that obviously being able to support them with intelligence and sort of data-driven recommendations on actions. Um, how do you see the key contextual differences between the way that you support field medical versus the way you support field sales? Um, I think their reality is really, really different. Um, our, I'll speak like for Bayer, but like for Bayer, our commercial team 
uh, really works with what we call like multi-channel cycle plans. So these, like the sales reps are acting on a specific plan that they need to go see that customer X number of time this year. And uh, we need to stick to that if we want to achieve like our target. On the medical side, it's slightly different. We know that like uh, they can't, the, the openness from the customers is probably like higher. Uh, they're, it's, it's like they're willing to receive more MSLs to, than sales rep, but uh, they're not sticking to a multi-channel cycle plan. So if we're serving some suggestions or if we're serving some uh, emails that we're sending like to customers and we want to let the MSL know, we need to allow like more time as well like to the MSL uh, to, to connect with these customers and, and really like build a designed plan if you want for that specific journey for that customer. So the reality is really different than the commercial side. Uh, and and what was really important on our side was uh, really to to tailor these uh, tools specifically to how they're going to use it in the field. So uh, so yeah, and, and that was one of my main criteria when we also like built it for the commercial side. Uh, I really wanted to sit with the the sales rep and ask them, okay, what do you need to be more efficient in your day? And what exactly, like, how can I help you, like, with that? Is that, like, to serve you some suggestions around pacing? Is that to follow up with some customers because they received an email from marketing? So we kind of, like, designed all of this tool together. And that's exactly what we did as well with the MSLs. Excellent. Yeah, that's great. So I'm curious because we talk about this with all of our guests pretty much, this notion of introducing AI and machine learning into the commercial process and into the medical education process, it typically takes on a tone of technical change, but quite often it is the human behavior that can drive a lot of the success, the speed of adoption, uh, the speed of impact. What is your philosophy having been on you know, both sides of that, understanding that we need to bring new technologies into the way that we operate, but also appreciating and recognizing that it is very much about the human behavior, having been one of the players uh, out in the field yourself and now being responsible for helping institute that change. What is your view on, on appreciating both the technological and the human side of that, that process? There's one thing that we really need to sell to the field, and it's that AI will never replace anyone. Uh, the reason is uh, it's we need like social contact with our customer. We will always need social contact with our customer face to face. I mean, uh, I think like AI is really there like to improve on efficacy and uh, to help you like become become more efficient in the field. So I think that there will always be a sales force in the field physically seeing healthcare professional because of this. All right. So that's the first thing. Uh, although the combination of these two different ways to reach out to our customer is much more impactful than one point of contact, just hammering the same key selling messages over time. So AI is really there like to help the rep navigate into this multi-channel environment and be more efficient. We always say that our digital assistant is there to give you the right information at the right moment, the right time, and uh, for the right person. Uh, so, so that you're able then to take what is the next best action possible. So I really believe that the synergy between Salesforce and the AI tool um, will really like um, encourage uh, driving results, if you want, and, and also like uh, help us become more efficient and drive these results. But I, I don't think it's going to replace a human being. Never. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's reassuring. Yeah. To all of us. <laughs> um, 
So you are our first guest from Canada, and it's always helpful when we have guests from new markets to be able to share to listeners broadly what is unique about the Canadian market that would be helpful for other members of commercial teams or other technology companies that are trying to support customers that operate in Canada. What would be important to, uh, to share that's unique to the market? A uh, very simple answer for that. Uh, and, and I would say like that our regulations with regards to what we are able to communicate to our customers are, are like heavily regulated. Like we're acting in the heavy regulated environment uh, that sometimes cause unwanted delays with the approbation of marketing material, which would cause also delays with the campaigns that we're designing. So, so I, I would say like that these like uh, heavy regulations are really probably the the big difference between the U.S. market and the European market. Yeah, got it. Great. Well, we're gonna move into. Um a part of our interview, which is always quite entertaining. Hopefully it'll be enjoyable for you as well, but I, I'm, I'm quite curious to hear your answers to some of these questions, but we're gonna do what we call Mark Mole in context. Uh, a couple things about you and your, your uh, career and your influences. So if you're game for that, we'll, we'll jump into that. Does that work for you? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so our first question is, who has been an influence on your career that might surprise us? That's funny because this is like a question that you usually get uh, into an interview uh, for a job, a job posting. Like I got that one two times uh, <laughs> for some jobs. Did you? And yeah, and I always answer the same answer. And I think it's very surprising because, uh, yeah, well, well, we'll see. So I, I have like a, I love music. I really love music. And uh, I would say that uh, Jimi Hendrix was a, a big, big influence on, on my career. And the reason is that like he was not necessarily like socially accepted uh, during these times when he was performing in front of the audiences. And uh, you just like work his way very, very hard through like the, the well, to, to get him where he was. And that's, that's like, uh, that's very, very, very uh, inspiring for me. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Good. I love that. Um, okay. So if money was not a factor, I'm wondering if maybe we're going to get something in the music realm here. If money was not a factor, what career would you most like to pursue? Almost music, but I would say professional video maker um, and working on movie sets. Yeah, I would love that. Naya, what, what role? What would you want to be doing? Would you be directing? Would you be the cinematographer? What would you want to be doing? Uh, I really love uh, filming. So that's one thing. So like to be like the person holding the camera, but also like all the editing after. Uh, editing is really like, uh, yeah, my old candy if you want. <laughs> <clears throat> Got it. I, love, I can relate. So I, I took a period of time to pursue screenwriting in the middle of my career because I had a personal passion for it. And I can, I can appreciate that as well. There's a lot that and there's actually a lot that you learn from um, working in teams and in storytelling and in developing narrative to influence audiences in that process. So you should do it at some point. In time. <laughs> I, incur I, I recommend it. Um, what profession would you most not want to pursue, no matter what it paid? <laughs> very easily, very easy. Accountant. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I, I like to create budget and try to stick to it, but I would not do it for someone else. <laughs> I got it. Okay, well, understood. Um, so you can go in a number of different directions with this one. We've, we've made it what is the best book you've read recently and why, but it could also be the best TV series or movie since we're all doing a lot of that on streaming services, but maybe the best uh, piece of entertainment that you have enjoyed recently and why? 
I'll go with the book. Um, I, one book that I read recently was, that was really good uh, is called Dare to Lead by Brené Brown. If you haven't read that, mm. it's a very, very good book. Uh, it really gives you like a, a good perspective on, on how to be a great leader. Yeah. One of the best learning that I got from that book is that leadership is not about titles, not about status or wielding power. Uh, it's really about people and how to bring the best out of everyone within the team. Yeah. I can imagine that has a lot of application to what you do on a daily basis. So I could see, could see the influence there. That's great. Um, all right. You're at a family gathering and your eight-year-old nephew asks what you do for a living. This is going to be interesting with change management. What do you tell your eight-year-old nephew? Very simply, I put a smile on people's face by helping them with their challenges on a daily basis. <laughs> wow. Nice. Okay, Uncle Mark, how do you do that? What do you do? Do you do you serve ice cream to them? What do you? How do you make that happen? <laughs> That's the tricky part that an eight years old would not understand. It's not with ice cream <laughs> or candies. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Uh, and our last question: Your ultimate dinner party for four. Who is in attendance, and what are you serving them? My girlfriend and my parents. I I really uh, I'm a family guy, uh, a lot. So, uh, and we would probably have like a surf and turf. How original is that? <laughs> surf and turf? You cannot go wrong with it. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. Well, Mark, as I mentioned to you earlier, I've heard unbelievably positive things from our teams in terms of working with you. I can understand why having had the opportunity to chat with you here. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us and, and give us a, a unique perspective on your work. So thank you for, thank you for being here. Thanks again for inviting me. That was a, my real pleasure, yeah. Thanks, Mark. That's it for this episode of Contextual Intelligence. I'm your host, Clay Hausman, and we'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. In the meantime, you can find all our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us a review or a comment or a question or all of the above so we can make sure that this podcast brings the proper context to your work. Thanks, everybody, for joining us.